Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're continuing our series that I've titled, I'm Broken. I'm Broken. Uh, it's uh, hope in the trials of life. And when we're broken, the thing that we need is a uh, relationship with our Lord or a, a, an understanding that there is hope. And so one of the things that we need to ask ourselves, in fact, on this message is my question. This is the question. Is the church a safe place for finding mental health, mental wellness? Is the church a safe place? Traditionally, it has not been safe. It has not been that safety net, that safe place for people that are struggling with mental health as it should be. And in fact, we'll talk about this passage in that regard. The reason I picked this passage is because of what Paul says down in verses 8 and 9. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered. So he's talking about his suffering. In the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, so stress. Far beyond our ability to endure, being overwhelmed. So that we despaired even of life, despair. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt we had the sentence of death. And you think, wow, this, this goes from bad to worse. And what is that one? Is that suicidal thoughts? I don't know what thoughts. He doesn't say. But not good. And then he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Resurrection power at work, that spiritual aspect. He has delivered us from such a deadly parable and he, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. And so there's the idea of hope and the importance of that in regard to mental health, that we need hope. But you'll also find, what do we do as a church family? And you'll see that he talks about how we comfort one another in the first part of the chapter, in verses 3 to verse 7. And that comfort is very much a part of our mental health. Comfort in the community of the body of believers is very much an important aspect. But as we've talked about before, uh, uh, that's important to understand that in our understanding, in our growth, that uh, uh, in terms of mental wellness, uh, we need to understand that there are, it's complicated. It's not as simple as just a spiritual answer. And in fact, sometimes we give pat answers to people that are struggling with all sorts of things and we wonder why they still struggle. And part of it is, is because the church, in the church, we think we've got the answers when sometimes we only have part of the answer. We're complex beings. And as I mentioned last time, a broken leg isn't just a physical thing because a broken leg may lead to to uh, discouragement or depression because that broken leg, if I'm a football player, that broken leg means I can't play that year. And that broken leg, because of discouragement, leads me to be upset at God because I think, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? All of a sudden, now you've got the physical and the emotional and the spiritual and the mental all involved in one thing. It started with physical. It can start other places. It can start with sin in my life. A person who struggles with pornography, all of a sudden now they're, they're feeling guilty about it and then they're feeling depressed about it because then they feel overwhelmed because they can't seem to get over it. And so that it's, a, it's a complex thing. And we, we can't just separate and say, oh, that's a physical thing or that's just a spiritual thing. or that's, We can't just throw an answer at it and hope it sticks and hope it helps. And we understand that we have to have 
Sometimes a psychiatrist who can prescribe drugs and sometimes a counselor who can give us counsel and sometimes a medical doctor who can check our, 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 our systems out medically and figure out if there's something else going on. And, and sometimes we need uh, 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 somebody that understands the Bible that can share scripture with us and encourage us biblically, spiritually, because that becomes the cause. And so as we look at this, we need to make sure that we understand that we need to listen. We need to listen well. Proverbs says, he who answers before he hears it is folly and shame to him. We don't listen well. We don't listen to the Lord well, as we, as we sang about in this last song, but we don't, we don't listen to those around us very well either, and we give these quick answers that we think are going to be the solutions I had somebody, uh, I've talked to a number of people and, and done some interviews with people about this issue. And uh, one person said, I've seen uh, the subject, subject of mental health is one that I'm very passionate about, especially as I've seen it tear many people away from the church. And you go, wow, church must not be safe in some cases. Another person said, I've heard of way too many stories of the church not being a safe place to people who struggle with mental health. And then she gave a, little, a few more reasons for that. She says, uh, people have been told uh, you just need to deal with your sin or just trust God or just stop being afraid, just get out of bed. Like you can just snap out of it. I've, as someone who dealt with depression for about five years, realized you can't just snap out of it. You can't just read a verse about joy and then all of a sudden be joyful. There's a struggle and that's where you want to end up and that's where I have ended up by God's grace but it didn't just happen overnight. It took time to get there. And so we realize that if we're just giving quick answers or pat answers, that may not be the best thing for that person. Church typically isn't safe because you have people who gossip and they talk about what you shared in private with other people around and so you become afraid to share the deep things of your life. If you struggle with gossip, you need to learn to bite your tongue. We all need to learn to bite our tongues because gossip can destroy. Gossip destroys that person who's going through mental health issues and mental wellness issues because they're afraid to share. And because they're afraid to share, they struggle alone and silently. And because they struggle alone and silently, it leads to depression, sometimes suicide, sometimes to uh, crazy things that we've seen in our culture uh, in Odessa and in El Paso and Sandy Hook. And you see all these different things that happen and you realize... The church needs to be a safe place where that can happen, where, 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 where mental wellness can begin to take place and hope can begin to grow. And we have people in our church family that can help you think through the different issues of life, the physical and the spiritual and the mental, because it's left to the individual. I mean, think about it. You go to a psychiatrist, oh, here's some medicines, now you need to go to a counselor. Okay, and talk to the counselor, I don't know anything about medicine, so I can't tell you anything about that. And so then you say, but maybe you need to see a doctor. You go see a doctor, and oh, I can help you with that, but I can't counsel you. And so then you talk to a theologian, well, I don't know anything about the, the medical side, but I know. And it's like, it's left up to you to figure it all out, to put it all together, right? But you have a body of believers around you who each have gifts, have talents, have specialties, People that can listen to you and help you sort through the things that you have, are having a hard time sorting through yourself. This should be the place, as that song by Ken Meadema uh, 40 years ago that he wrote, if this is not a place where my tears are understood, where can I go? I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. I don't need that place. This needs to be a place that's safe. 
This needs to be a place where we can come alongside and bring God's comfort into your life to bring help, bring hope into your life, help you to see that no matter what it is that you're facing in life, whether it's a broken leg, that's a faith journey. Whether it's a loss of job, that's a faith journey. Whether you're going through a circumstance that's difficult, that's also a faith journey. Because everything that we face in life is a journey of faith as we trust the Lord for those different things. But they're also a mental journey, an emotional journey, and a physical journey. I, was, I saw an article this week about uh, college students as they deal with mental health issues. One in four students have a diagnosed illness or a diagnosable illness. One in four, 25%. 40% of those don't seek any help at all. You go, wow. If the church, they had a church family, they had a small group that could, that could begin to help walk them through that process, friends that they trusted. 80% feel overwhelmed by their responsibilities. 80%. Four out of five. 50% have become so anxious that they struggle with their studies. You go, wow, that shouldn't be. Church should be that place. Community should be that place. So how can we get involved? Well, first we need to understand that God is in the brain-changing business. Do you know that? Do you believe that? God is in the brain-changing business. You know, I got a verse on that. Romans 12, 2. Know that verse? Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so as to sense for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so you think, God is in that brain-changing business. As we looked at last week in the, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, it says in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and that's literally the pneuma of your minds, the spirit of your minds. God is in the brain-changing business, and I'm going to show you in a little bit some of the studies that have done in regard to the brain neuroplasticity is one of those things that we have a brain that changes and it changes not only when we're little kids, like the early studies used to say, it was only little kids that changed their brain. And once you got to a certain age, your brain stays the same forever and ever. Amen. Right? No, it changes all the time due to damage, but it also can be brought back to further health. Brain plasticity, especially uh, in later life, is, is the cerebral cortex shows much, much greater plasticity. And when they say plasticity, they mean new neurons and new connections being made in your brain so that they can look at the brain and it shows a physical change. At younger ages, we know that the, the uh, brain changes a lot. And in fact, uh, some theorize that the brain overproduces neurons and synapses in order for the young child to adapt to environmental changes. So they get a whole lot more, almost like a sculpture, and that's a picture they use, almost like a sculpture where he, he has this, all this material, the, the piece of stone, and then you chip away the stuff that doesn't, isn't necessary. And some think that that's what happens with children's brains. But the interesting thing is, and that's the connection between comfort, as we see in our passage, and mental health, which we also see in our passage. Comfort of God, verses three through seven, Mental uh, uh, health issues, uh, verses 8 and 9, hope being brought. And so you, you see that in a study that was uh, done with children that were in Romania during the, uh, and born during the reign of Nicolae Sesescu. That guy was uh, a ruler in Romania. He was, uh, had a, did a lot of terrible things. Here he was, a guy who 
who uh, during, that, uh, during that tenure, he required every family to have five kids. Well, not everyone could afford five kids, but they had to have five kids anyway, or they were fined or imprisoned or whatever. They were punished. And so they had to have these five kids. Well, there were a lot of kids that grew up and they were unwanted. And so they were sent to orphanages. And so here's these kids that are in these orphanages. And as they're in these orphanages, uh, uh, they uh, didn't develop as well. And in fact, that some of the studies that they did, the National Academy of Science compared children raised in this institutional environment without enough parenting uh, and enough care and, uh, and other kids, and they had significantly less brain development. Significantly less. Now, they could catch up because kids have that ability and that adaptability, but without comfort of parents. When you go, oh, wow, that's exactly what we're seeing here. God's connecting comfort, God of all comfort, and mental wellness. Why does God connect these two together? Because they go together. I began to uh, listen to some uh, TED Talks on the brain. Fascinating stuff. I love this kind of stuff. In fact, when I was in high school, I took uh, uh, just about all the chemistry and biology that I could take that our high school offered. Because I love that stuff. Even though I didn't end up in the sciences, I ended up as a music major, right? But here's one of the things that he did, this, this uh, guy named uh, Dr. Daniel Amen. Uh, and can I get an amen on that? Oh, sorry. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen did this, uh, he, he does brain scans. In fact, he, I encourage you to listen to his talk because I won't do it justice. Uh, he did 83,000, he's collected and, and processed 83,000 brain scans, 83,000 over a period of 22 years in about 93 countries. In fact, he was one of the guys that, that started all the research with NFL players and the, the brain scans on active players and also uh, on uh, those who are uh, uh, no longer active. And, and here's some of the things that he does in this TED Talk, some of the things he shows. He shows these, I actually listened to them on, uh, in my car, and I had to go back and look at these pictures. And so I just, I just uh, did a screenshot of these, so, uh, uh, but they came out pretty good. Uh, this is a surface view of a healthy brain, what it looks like on the surface, and what it looks like when you look at brainwave activity. This SPECT imaging apparently is very expensive to do, and so you can't just run and run down into your local brain scan place and get, get it done. I'd be a little nervous. I'd be afraid they wouldn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's this, uh, the healthy brain. Now I'm going to show you the surface of a healthy brain and the surface of one with Alzheimer's. Whoa. Huge change, right? And then if you look at a healthy brain versus someone who has a traumatic brain injury. And you go, there's a physical issue here. You can't just say, hey, you just need to do these three steps because it worked for me and you need to do it. Well, your brain is different than mine. There's 200 billion connections in the brain, more than the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. You look up and you see this Milky Way galaxy and realize there's more connections here than there are there. And you realize how complex we are, which means none of us are the same in this room. We're all different in regard to our brains. Not only our fingerprints, but our brains are different as well. And then you look at somebody that has a healthy brain and one has OCD. Yeah, you always knew that that would be the case, right? And, and, and I'm sure ADHD looks very similar to that. Healthy brain. And then you look at that. I was, uh, one of the slides that I forgot to get was one of a person who, uh, two people who had depression. Two people who are struggling with depression and the slide looks almost identical to this one. 
And you think, wait a minute, this person with depression is having a different issue than this person with depression. Which means even though they both present as depressed, the solution is completely different. And I started thinking about that. How somebody who has, has depression because of a spiritual cause, they are involved in pornography and want, looking at pornography and then they feel guilty and then they feel overwhelmed because they can't seem to get a handle on it. And so then they, they, they end up with depression. Well, that's a spiritually caused depression, right? There's a person that breaks their leg and, and because of that, they're feeling depressed because they can't don't have mobility and then they're depressed. There's a person that may be depressed because their thyroid's off and really what they need is to go to their medical doctor, get a blood test and, 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 uh, and get stuff to get their thyroid straight. Another person deals, has a different cause and that cause may be a, uh, that they were abused as a child so it's a circumstance in their life and so then what their depression is because of that and what they need really is, is closure on that and they need a lawyer. And so you look at all these different and the solutions are different. A blood test, a, 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 and maybe a brain scan is needed, a, a blood test is needed and so you look at what you're dealing with and you think there's a whole lot of potential issues here. And they all work together. They may have a particular cause, but they involve our minds, our emotions, our spiritual life, everything. I mean, I was watching my Texas Longhorns last night, and I understand depression. <laughs> we lost to LSU, and I was kind of ticked, you know? And there was a part of me that was ticked because I knew I couldn't pray about the outcome of the game because God doesn't really care about the score, right? And so I'm a little ticked at God, you know, hey, what happened to my longhorns, right? And you realize it all fits together. And I could be in a little bit of a surly mood because of something that has nothing to do with things that you think might be important. But I realize my own struggle. And so when I was looking at these different brains, he talks about a brain of somebody. This is the brain of somebody who had a mild brain injury. That's what they said. At three years old, the guy fell down the stairs. He had a uh, concussion for just a few seconds, came to, running around, normal and healthy. He's fine, right? And at 15, this is when they did his brain scan, he had actually suffered a mild injury? No. It was significant. And it was impacting him. He was also tells about one of his favorite stories, and it's only favorite because it actually came to a good conclusion, about uh, uh, a, a kid that was, uh, uh, I think he was 15 years old. His name was Andrew. Did a brain scan on Andrew. Andrew, at nine years old, got in a fight with a girl on a softball field for no apparent reason. And during that same time, he was drawing pictures of him hanging from a tree and of him shooting other little kids. I mean, this was Sandy Hook waiting to happen. This was Odessa, El Paso, you name it, waiting to happen. And in most cases, and in, and in the cases that we've seen in the news, uh, they would prescribe medication for a, somebody in his condition. But they did a brain scan on him. And the brain scan showed a cyst the size of a golf ball on his left lobe. They removed the cyst and he became a normal, healthy child. 
And so you begin to realize not all solutions are the same. And what one person needs may be a physical thing. What another person needs may be uh, a, a, a medical thing. What somebody else needs is confession and repentance. What we all need is we're all a whole person and every part of us is impacted no matter what. And the church family needs to be a safe place where we, a person can come and in community can share the struggles and they're not alone. And the body of Christ is working together. And that's what we see also in the passage because Paul says what helped him was Having their hope set on Christ, on him we have set our hope, that's in 2 verse 10, that he will continue to deliver us as you helped us by your prayers. Don't think that your prayers are unimportant. And you need to speak your prayers to people, not necessarily what word for word you're praying, but that you are praying. You might be praying for somebody and they have no idea about it. I had somebody this morning that I got an email from uh, uh, in our church family that said, I'm struggling with this particular issue. Will you pray for strength and will you, will you pray for healing? And I responded back to him this morning as part of my application to this, that bringing comfort and saying, absolutely, we'll pray for you. So sorry that you're struggling with that. And I just wanted to bring comfort to that person. They said, please continue to pray for strength. And so I shared a verse. I said, this verse has helped me a lot. And I know you're already getting the medical attention, but here's, here's some things that can help you in, in the encouragement side of things. Church needs to be a safe place. It needs to be a place where a a person can come. God designed the body of Christ to be a place of healing. And yet, we typically, with mental health, because of all the things that we think about it, and we're afraid that people will find out, we're afraid to share. And yet, I I can almost guarantee you that every one of us struggles with mental issues, mental wellness issues. That's why... Paul starts out this letter. The letter before, he was getting on to the Corinthians. He was rebuking them for some things. He was challenging them in some areas. He was teaching them. This one starts out as a book of comfort. He says, I I know that here's some things I asked you to do in the first book. And now you're doing them. And I want to encourage you. And he starts off, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and God of all comfort. Three things that he says about our God. One is he's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the savior of the world. Because Jesus is uh, the one that's talked about in chapter 5 and verse 19 of 2 Corinthians. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It starts with the gospel. That, he, that we have a, a heavenly father who loves us so much that Christ died for us. He wants to bring us as the God of comfort, the incredible and the ultimate comfort. And that is that he loves us and that he sent Christ to take care of the issues that we could never take care of. So that we could be a child of God. So that we could be royalty as was talked about in the worship portion of this service and and as as we think about what that means it's life transforming and as we receive Christ as our savior and then we follow him as our lord we walk this journey of faith and it's a journey of compassion and comfort because our god is a god of compassion 
The word compassion means a display of concern over. Comfort means lifting uh, of, of another spirit. So our goal when we come in, if we're going to do what our Father does and he comforts us, how does he do that? He comes and he's concerned and he comes and he wants to give us hope. One of the biggest things that we can give somebody else is hope. I'm going to walk with you through this. That gives people hope. I'm going to be praying for you. That gives us hope. Here's some of the promises of God. That gives us hope. And so that we bring and we are sources of hope. And I think so many times our tendency is to be the source of complaining and griping and, and saying, well, if that doctor did this and if this happened to this, and we, we bring a different spirit. And God wants us to bring comfort and hope to those who are struggling. And so that we bring that comfort and that we bring that hope. And it says that whoever comforts us in all our troubles so that, so that, Here's the reason why he comforts us, or one of the reasons, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. There's supposed to be the trickle-down effect. There's supposed to be the ripple effect that when God comforts you, it's not just for you, it's for everybody else that you're going to come in contact with the rest of your life that struggles with what you're struggling with. And so it's not only that we have the ability to comfort others in a way that we didn't before. When my dad died, I now am able to better relate to those whose dad dies. When my mom died, the same. When I've gone through depression, the same. I'm able to now understand what some people go through when they go through depression. I know some facets of it. And so I can bring comfort, but not only that I'm able to, but that I have a responsibility to. That's part of what the body of Christ is for, is to bring comfort. And notice it says, the comfort we ourselves will receive, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. Amen, right? Man, all the, what do you mean sufferings of Christ? Isn't he just mean sufferings? What do you mean sufferings of Christ? What kind of sufferings is that? Is it because I, I suffer because I share the gospel? No, it's I suffer when I break my leg. And I share the sufferings of Christ when I walk a faith journey in the midst of something that's physical. And I'm sharing the sufferings of Christ because people are looking at me going, why are, you, why are you trusting the Lord in this? You need a doctor. Well, I got the doctor and I got this, but I also need to trust the Lord. It's part of my faith journey. It's part of the spiritual aspect that the world doesn't understand. And we are sharing the sufferings of Christ when we walk uh, the journey of no matter what it is we're facing with faith. It says, so also that through Christ our comfort overflows. Christ's sufferings overflow into our lives, but the comfort is equal to the task. God's overflowing comfort is going to be equal to that task. Verse 6, it says, if we are distressed, and he said, wait a minute, overwhelmed? Sufferings Christ flowing over? Distressed? He's talking about the same things that they're struggling with. It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope, there again, the idea of hope, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Here we have church leaders, Paul the Apostle, He's dealing with pressure, overwhelmed, despair, sentence of death. And he's willing to speak about it, not only to the church, but to all the churches of all generations. Everyone who reads the word of God sees Paul struggled. 
And it's not for us to go and say, Paul, you must have been in sin because you're facing these things or, or you need to confess and repent of your, of your anxiety and your despair. And those, No, he just says, I need the comfort of God. And I think that we miss it. Here he is, and it's not just him. He says, we. Notice that in verse 8, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. We were under great pressure. It wasn't just him. It was his whole team. So his whole team's going through struggle of despair and, 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 and feeling this sentence of death on them. They were all struggling with it. And what you realize is that when we go through struggles in our families, sometimes when we're facing this common struggle, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a death in our family, that we're struggling together and it's hard for us to minister to one another because we're all in that same boat. And we need people outside of the family unit. We need the body of Christ to come alongside and to, to love and to bring meals and to, to pray for you and to, to listen to you. And sometimes we're not very good at that. We're quick with the answers. We're quick with, with the pat answer and say, well, what about this? Have you tried that or whatever? And, and yes, it's good to ask those questions, but we need to just shut up and listen at times. My wife and I have watched a, or started watching an old series called Heartland about a, a lady who takes care of horses and their horses that, are, that are, have been, uh, have, had struggles. And one of the things that she said when people say, how, do you have, how, how can you do so much with these horses that nobody else can do anything with? And she said, I listen to the horse. I listen to them. I listen to what's going on. I learn their story and I figure it out. What's what it is, then they're going to tell me what's wrong with them and what the solution is if I just listen. And I think we don't listen very well to one another. We sang about listening to God. We need to listen to him. And we need to understand that we're broken. And we can say we're okay, but deep down we're broken. And we need him. We need his insight. We need his wisdom as we process through life. We need his wisdom to help change our thinking and which will physically change our brains and make them physically different. We need to listen and think, do I need medical or do I need a brain scan or what do I need? What does this person need? And it's okay because our Lord and Savior went about healing as well as teaching. He combined the two, and that's okay for us to do the same. So as we go through this life, as we, as a body of Christ, think about these things, I want to encourage us to be a safe place to bring the comfort of God, the wisdom of God, and his understanding as we face life together. Because uh, as someone said, and they, I got some, some, some steps or some idea, not steps, but just some, some perspectives. One is God cares about your brokenness. He knows that we're broken. He's not, we're not broken to be left that way. We're broken to change. But healing is designed to be in the body of Christ. This is where healing needs to happen. And typically what we do is that we pull away from healing. We pull away from people whenever we're struggling, especially with mental health issues, because we're afraid. 
We need people to walk that journey with us, and God's created the body of Christ for that. Talking with is part of the safety net of Christ. And this is not a forever thing that you're dealing with most likely. And it's through Christian community. If you're not a part of a small group, I would encourage you to get in a small group because it's not going to happen necessarily in this large group setting. You're not going to feel safe to share with, you know, several hundred people. But you build those relationships in the body of Christ and the person begins to feel safe and they begin to trust you because you keep your mouth closed and you're willing to listen to them and not just give quick answers. You may give something that's toward an answer. You may ask questions that, that, struggle, that they struggle with. But this can be a place, as Ken Meadam has said, where our tears are understood. If that is what we are, then we become the body of Christ that God designed us to be. Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that you created our brains to change, even physically, when we go through processes, the right processes of changing our thinking about our problems, about you, about hope versus despair. Lord, I pray that you would, would change us to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. You promise that you'll do that. We ask for that. Lord, we come this morning with all sorts of different struggles that we face. Everyone in this room may have a little different variation. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to them. We pray that relationships would begin to be developed where they can share openly and honestly and, and find the comfort of God from a body of Christ. Lord, we pray for that. We ask for that. We pray that we would be a place, that we as the body of Christ would be a place where tears are understood, where a person isn't trying to just prove or that they're somehow righteous, that that proof doesn't need to go on. We just live the life. And your righteousness grows in us as we do. And that we love as you have loved us, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.